What's up everybody? Welcome to the Art of Human. I am your host Sapien. Today I present to you Talking with a Health Expert episode number two. During this podcast episode I had the pleasure of talking with Nancy King. She is a registered dietitian and a pioneer in the treatment of eating disorders. Nancy has been in the field of nutrition for over 25 years and she actually has her own business called Your Life Nutrition. Her business is comprised of five registered dietitians. Each dietitian has a different emphasis in nutrition. So her business really offers nutritional help to just about anybody, whether it's someone um, dealing with an eating disorder, whether it's someone who wants to, who's dealing with a chronic disease, for instance, like diabetes, or even if it's simply someone who just wants to better their nutrition and maybe learn how to cook and how to facilitate everything into their schedule. So please go ahead, check out our website, yourlifenutrition.co, if you're interested in any type of help of that sort. And so during this episode, we talked about a number of things. We start off by talking about her profession as a dietitian. Uh, We talk about diet culture, but we also kind of go on to talk about more universal ideas. For instance, the influence that social media, that technology has on us as human beings the effects it has on disordered eating patterns and then we go on to talk about the how it's important to to practice going into the unknown and just doing risky things and how that can be beneficial for your life the art of free expression it's a definitely a free flow conversation had a lot a lot of fun doing it so i hope that you guys enjoy uh last thing about 50 minute mark or so Um, During our recording, my computer froze up, and so we lost about 70 seconds of audio. And so I'll try to, I'll put in an audio clip in there to hopefully try to piece it together for you guys. But contextually, we're pretty much still talking about the same thing when it jumps from one piece to another. So it should definitely still make sense. But that is it, you guys. I hope you enjoy. All right, and we're live. Cool. Uh, Nancy, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. It's been, uh, I've been anticipating this. <laughs> it's been a few weeks in the making to get here. And uh, thank you so much. Uh, you're the first female guest I have on the show, so that's really cool. And uh, I've never met you prior to starting this, so that's also yeah. an interesting thing. So it's, uh, I'm really, really excited. I was genuinely like on the way here and getting ready. It's almost like that kind of nervous feeling. But it's that nervous feeling of like when you know there's like a really cool opportunity to like have fun. Yeah. And so I'm really excited to be doing this. And yeah, so the way I wanted to start this is just uh, have you explain to the listeners a little bit about your kind of philosophy, your approach and your profession as a registered dietitian. Mm-hmm. You're one of the pioneers in eating disorder treatment. And I just kind of wanted to get a little more context as to your approach with that. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm really glad to be here, too. (laughs) And I've been looking forward to this, too. Um, So my graduate degree is in nutrition and my undergrad is in exercise physiology. Mm -hmm. And so that really, from an educational perspective, that really informs my work in terms of the importance of movement and nourishment. Mm -hmm. Um. And I think also, as I've just grown and developed myself, I recognize that working with individuals around something like constructing an eating style with them that really serves them, what goes really as the foundational piece to that is their own growth and development. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. So whether the individual is coming for like guidance and support for diabetes care, for example, or they're coming because they're afraid of food and they're struggling with how to balance food and movement and um, like their own physical well-being and sleep and they feel really like all that's disrupted. I see the, the common thread in that is like in the realm of self-care, how are they needing to grow and develop such that self-care becomes something that 
they're interested in practicing, whatever that would look like for them, mm-hmm. and that they are open to finding the tools necessary. So for many people, it's they're not ready to be open, to be coachable. Mm-hmm. And so just working with somebody where they're at and discovering that, not just for myself, but in like the first session, I have three agenda points when mm-hmm. I meet with somebody for the first time. And the first agenda point is just that this is the opportunity for them to like just share whatever there is to share that they're ready to share around their struggle with weight or food or physical activity or energy, um, GI tract problems, that they just get this safe space to just say all they have to say. And oftentimes because so much of it is in their head Mm -hmm. and it lives just in their thoughts, not that they don't have behaviors that come from the thoughts, but just to get some fresh air and to get to articulate it Mm -hmm. really helps them. Mm -hmm. So the second agenda point when I'm meeting somebody is I want them to be able to hear something of value for themselves. Mm -hmm. So as they're kind of sharing what their day-to-day struggles are like or their fears or where they see if I only had more information, that would make a difference. Or if somebody understood me more, Mm. sometimes that's part of it. Um, That for them to be sharing, I want them to see if there is a different way to tell their story. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we have a story that we tell and we tell it the same, like a life event, we tell it the same now as we did five years ago. Mm -hmm. The truth of the matter, though, is just as a human being, we continue to evolve. Mm -hmm. And so we have maybe a different perspective to hear ourselves tell a story out loud. It's like, huh, well, I no longer see it quite that way like I did when I was, you know, 17. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm 22, graduating from college, I guess I have a different viewpoint on that. And so part of this conversation is for them to get a chance just to hear is there some updating to do about certain facets of their story. Mm -hmm. And right there, there's something valuable for them to leave the first session with. Um, And then the third agenda point is for them to leave having had the experience of really being heard. Mm -hmm. So that I invite them in the session, like if there's something that I feed back to you, like I think you're saying this, Mm -hmm. if that's not what you're saying, I really want you to just say, Nancy, that's not what I mean. Because Remember, one of my three agenda points is I want you to leave here feeling really heard and understood Mm -hmm. to the extent that you want to share. Mm -hmm. So it really sets it up so that, A, they get a sense this is their time and place, Mm -hmm. and that, B, they could have something to say that's valuable to them, Mm -hmm. which is usually not the way people look at, you know, the first session interview. It's really... Mm -hmm. You would expect maybe like you have a million things, like a bunch of things to recommend and this, this and that. But it's kind of interesting that you mention all this because recently I actually had someone, it's one of my friends from my past work and she's becoming a life coach. Mm. And so she said, you know, I need to do some training hours and, you know, do you want to have a conversation? And I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. And I was interested because I never had anything like that before. And the interesting thing about when it was all over is that she didn't really tell me all that much. Hmm. She was very good at asking questions, mm-hmm. um, just asking really good questions, like open-ended questions. And as I answered them, it's almost like I was making epiphanies as she was asking. Me. I was like, wow, I actually didn't think of that. And it was because of the the kind of questions that they ask. Yes. And the, the other big thing that you mentioned, the listening, because I mean, I could tell that she was just, you know, she was looking at me. She was just really listening to me. That, um, that, 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 that piece right there is so crucial for, I think, um, for finding out those key things that you need for progression. It's just Mm. someone to help facilitate because, um, like you said, I mean, you could approach it in a different way by saying a bunch, but I think asking the right questions is like, um, I think that's a really cool thing. That's so neat that you had that experience. Yeah. Because we do... 
underestimate, especially if we're in a swirl of confusion about something, mm-hmm. I think it's natural for us to underestimate the the knowledge and the insight that I guess knowledge and insight we could say is wisdom mm-hmm. that we do have some perspective that if somebody is a committed listener mm-hmm. um, and is really patient mm-hmm. and without the judgment, because clearly you didn't feel judged. You no. felt like, wow, this is my time to really look and see what do I think about these things and myself. And mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, that's such a treasured thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, um, you know, when people come here for the first time, they're probably expecting to be weighed. They're probably expecting to be told what to eat. They're expecting, you know, if they have judgments already in their own head about themselves, they're expecting to be judged. Um, so I love that you've had that experience because mm-hmm. you did discover some things for you, like like kind of like popcorn is popping in terms mm-hmm. of epiphanies. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think that's a really cool thing. And me having worked at an eating disorder treatment for about seven months, it really made me aware of how I'm. I'm not sure if it's the kind of culture that we live in, but it's. I feel like a lot of times we have a very aggressive approach to to doing things. I mean, not even just consult consultations and stuff that we're talking about, but just in general. I think a lot of times we have this perspective of getting things done when it's yes. like. How about we figure out the fundamental pieces and like, let's take it easy to start off. And I think that's really when you kind of go towards this path of recovery or this path of, you know, optimizing whatever you want to do, whether it's you wanting to, to get better at something, like if you have a craft or whatever, it's just figuring out the fundamentals, figuring it, building that self-awareness and then you could move forward. So I really, I really like that philosophy that you have. I totally, I'm really into that. And, um, Obviously, your profession is an eating disorder, so I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit about what that kind of means. I think uh, for myself, before I got into this field of dietetics, the only thing that came to mind was like anorexia nervosa because that's kind of the one you always hear that celebrities have and stuff. But I just want to get your take on like just what is eating disorders and like maybe just give listeners an idea for what that really means. Yeah, great. Um, Fortunately, the like the descriptions and the definitions and the criteria lists are evolving. Mm -hmm. So if you looked at, um, you know, a criteria list for anorexia nervosa from 10 years ago, you would see some distinct differences from that criteria list now um, that it's not just defined by low body weight and a fear of getting fat and an inability to eat enough because someone might not have a severely low body weight, Mm -hmm. but they're still restricting and they're still afraid of getting fat, whatever that means to them. And, you know, they may or may not be menstruating if it's a um, female. And so what else has happened is there are more um, diagnoses around eating problems. Mm -hmm. So there's food avoidance diagnosis is now food avoidance and restriction is now part of the, what we call the DSM five. And it's the diagnostic statistical manual for mental illnesses, mental health issues. And so People don't have to fit into a category as neatly as they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a catch-all category is what I call it. It's OSFED, it's O-S-F-E-D, and it's otherwise specified feeding and eating disorders. So what's important about these categories or these diagnoses is discovering with research what are the best practices for helping since we're dealing with human the human being Mm -hmm. as much as there are unique things about each person that are so important to discover and honor um, 
there's also some things we can just say about the human being in terms of some of the physiology mm-hmm. and some of the psychology um, and some of the sociology. Um, so whatever the diagnosis is, it's partly to help understand what are best practices mm-hmm. for a treatment team to really come alongside this individual and um, help them in recovery. And it's also therefore to get insurance reimbursement mm-hmm. for treatment. Um, so eating disorders, I think a quick way to hold it in one's head is where the individual's ability to eat in such a way that they feel nourished mm-hmm. and energized to go about their day, mm-hmm. that their body is a nourished vehicle, body and mind. Um, and when there's a disruption in that, we could say that that's disordered, meaning there's not an order to, like organization and order such that they are nourished. Mm-hmm. So the complexity of when it becomes more like the category of an eating disorder is it typically involves something around movement and or something around body size and shape. Mm-hmm. And I want to be really careful here because there are all kinds of eating struggles that don't include either of those, mm-hmm. that it is really about texture and associations um, of food with certain situations and moods and GI problems. I mean, there's a complexity that those aren't about body size and shape and those aren't about exercise and they're not about um, looking a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we look at the predominant presentation of eating disorder struggles, they usually include something about appearance, body size and shape as well as the eating practices Mm -hmm. and either eating more than their body needs as a pattern or eating less than their body needs as a pattern or not getting enough specific nutrients Mm -hmm. as a pattern. Okay. Yeah, and I I know like... It's a lot to unpack. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is a lot. And the way um, before actually this part, before us recording this... Last week, actually, I think it was last week or the week before, I ended up doing kind of a, so, I call it a so, solo run. And so basically, it's like my individual podcast episode where I talk about a topic. Mm. And I thought, you know, leading up to this conversation that we're having, I gave the listeners, I developed this episode about eating disorders. And the way, because I was like thinking, how could I kind of make a description for eating disorders, but in a very simple manner? Yes. And the way that I narrowed it down, I was just like, eating disorder is when someone has a bad relationship with food, an mm-hmm. unhealthy relationship with food. Because like you mentioned, sometimes um, it may not be that this person's too concerned about their their body appearance. It may not be about um, maybe the calories of the food, but it could be maybe the texture of the food, the smell mm-hmm. of the food. There's so many different variables and there's so many nuances in this field that... Um, but ultimately, I think it always, in in spite of what type of eating disorder a person may have, ultimately, they have a bad relationship with food. I mean, I think that's one of the points which they all share, right? Yes. Um, yes. And obviously, I've and I've explained it to other people about eating disorders that the eating disorder disorder is kind of like, this is like at the end of the chain. Obviously, the illness is a mental illness, and it's been developed through either traumatic events, through either some type of genetic predisposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is just, this happens to be the way in which it's expressed, I guess you can say. Yes. And so it's it's a really fascinating thing. I know before we started this, we we're talking about how someone may have an eating disorder, but they also may have other mental illnesses that they're also dealing with that only makes the situation worse. Yes. What are some of the more common Uh, mental illnesses that is usually associated with someone who has eating disorders? Yeah. Um, There is a high incidence of substance abuse um, with an eating disorder. So the substance abuse, I think we normally think of alcohol or 
recreational drugs or drugs that the individual is taking that aren't prescribed for them or not in that amount. Um, but there's, so we could put that in the category of what is it that's moving them towards abusing substances, mm -hmm. which then we look behind that. And the most common I'd say are depression, anxiety, and probably if we put it as a separate, maybe some PTSD, mm -hmm. which is in degrees. Mm -hmm. So, which could cause depression, could cause anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, probably the, what I would say, the highest risk factor, I think, is being born with a very sensitive temperament. Mm -hmm. Just sensitive to, like... Um, like your senses, like mm -hmm. light and sound and um, strong flavors and things like that. And then also just having a really sensitive heart. Mm -hmm. that, and these are, these are things that you would say is like kind of genetic or personality type? Yeah, temperament is thought to be very genetically influenced. Mm -hmm. That kind of kids pop out with a temperament. Mm -hmm. um, and... That's not to say that other temperaments can't have their own challenges. They can. Mm -hmm. That is to say that just being sensitive, especially in life today where there's so much around us, mm -hmm. you know, there's a screen all over the place that's coming at us or that we're engaging with or whatever. So I think just all the you know, environmental and um, milieu, kind of our, our near environment, mm -hmm. I think really makes it difficult for a sensitive person and the speed of life and mm -hmm. all of that. Some people are just hardier, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, you could have two siblings. You probably know, you know, friends that they're siblings and they came out of the same house and they're just completely different, different people. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, when you brought up the thing about, you know, having the different levels of temperament, that being almost like a kind of an innate thing, biological, that's uh, I find that kind of interesting because I almost I was talking to my mom about that. And I was talking to her about how, like, I feel like in certain aspects of like personality, I came out similar to my mom. We're both like fairly mellow. We're both kind of timid when it comes to certain situations. But then if we're like comfortable or if we're around the thing that we like to do, we get very excited. Mm -hmm. We're very like, um, we're kind of like, we kind of adapt to our surroundings kind of, but we both struggle yeah. with like being timid. And then I kind of found a relationship between my dad and my brother. They're both more, I feel like they're more extroverted. They're both more, I probably shouldn't say this, but I feel like their temperament's <laughs> a little, a little uh, lower. They, they might get aggravated a little easier. Okay. And I don't know that it's obviously biology and like genetics isn't the only influence in that kind of thing but of course i feel like i kind of found like a, a relationship between that and uh but i don't mean to like say that me and my mom don't have issues i'm not saying we're perfect and my my, my dad has like all these temperaments she's like no not at all like yeah you know but i love my family everyone's great <laughs> but um i found like I, f I found some type of relationship there and it seems like it would pertain to like you know our genetics because yeah. I don't think it's by coincidence that a lot of times there's a correlation between personality and one parent to then personality and one kid. Yeah. And then those kind of differences. So I think that's really fascinating. Um, another thing I wanted to mention, because I like the way that you were going there, you started mentioning about all this external stimulus. Yeah. And in particular in this like Western world, you know, particularly, obviously, we're talking about United States right now for the most part. And me being someone who grew up in the era of like this huge technological jump and this this time of like the development of social media mm -hmm. and um, all the different like marketing things that you see, like you said, there's screens everywhere, the TV, um, you go on, you can be on social media and you, you follow only specific pages, but then you have ads coming from all different directions. And yeah. so it's almost like, you're given all this stimulus and it's almost like you can't even avoid it to a certain degree. And, um, I think that in my opinion, I think that plays a really big influence in the development 
in a lot of these mental illnesses. Mm. I don't, I always, I've said this before, I don't think that social media and the internet is responsible for the mental illnesses because I believe that everybody's responsible for how they respond to everything. Mm -hmm. But I definitely believe that it's um, it's a variable that can have some negative effects on people and especially for children who maybe yes. don't have as much um, power or empowerment to make certain decisions. Yes. So a lot of times it comes down to the parenting. And then from, I think, um, so yeah, I don't know if you wanted to mention something with regard to like what I'm talking about, like maybe some of the external variables that do influence like the ed behavior. Like in terms of our culture right now, do you feel like there's a lot of advertisement for that would stimulate someone to have ed behaviors or yes. eating disorder? I think if we look at, again, the human being, mm-hmm. um, part of what we automatically do is compare. Mm-hmm. I mean, for you and I to walk into this office, I mean, there's a rug on the hardwood floor. If you didn't compare, like, the floor to the height of the rug, mm-hmm. you'd probably trip. Ah, you're right. So we compare so that we can understand our environment and our brain kind of catalogs things. I say that I have like a monkey that manages all my files. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if we look at like everyday comparison before the internet, what we compared to was most often the same or similar demographics. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there's still the comparison of I'm not good enough, I'm not enough, what if I'm not enough? Those are part of going through normal growth and development stages is to have those questions and then compare ourselves to what we see and try to conclude, am I good enough? Mm-hmm. Well, then because as we get older into our teens we recognize like there's some things i am good at and there's some things i'm not as good at um or some people are taller than me or shorter than me or thinner or heavier or whatever it is or different skin colors but the key piece i would suggest that's different now from before the internet is the internet will tell us what those differences mean or suggest those differences mean somebody's better or somebody's worse mm-hmm. in so many areas of our lives. So not just body size and shape, but also like, you know, what color nail polish somebody is choosing to wear mm-hmm. or the whole branding and... um even down to, did you get your dog from a rescue or did you get it from a breeder? Or, mm. I mean, there's like in every nook and cranny, there's something to be found in social media or the internet. You know, these ads that pop up and all that, that I think cause us to think maybe I need to do something better or something different. Mm-hmm. And so the comparison feature that's meant to serve a useful purpose really just gets a life of its own and how could anybody draw conclusions about the comparison when they're looking at you know Instagram and mm-hmm. you know Snapchat and TikTok and you know <laughs> so a year from now things. there will be other things and yeah. so I think part of the role of the home life mm-hmm. is can the parents not stop the kid from comparing? That won't happen, mm-hmm. but enter into conversation about what do the comparisons mean? Like, what mm-hmm. do the differences actually mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's, I mean, and there's so many comparisons. How mm-hmm. can you keep up with it? Yeah, that's interesting. And I think um, a lot of these things that we see on social media and all that, like, I have this whole like philosophy. I've been conceptualizing so many ideas recently, but I think a big thing is that people, if someone, if a company puts out a post, 
they have a lot of science that goes into it and there's like that whole like ethos and all that kind of thing that kind of they try to um get into people's emotions when they market and stuff yes 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 and uh i think what really makes people not feel good is that a lot of the content that people put out it's kind of it's ingenuine like it's um it's it's kind of putting out this false reality of like this is the way the life is but it's really not and it's Mm. i think a lot of times it's getting into people's emotions so that maybe they feel guilty or they feel that this need that they need this thing now whether it's like a product or a certain service and it's like they guilt people into wanting to do something yes and so the intentions of the these companies or these people that are marketing they're not for the for the best of mankind i think a lot of times they're really just looking out for how can they you know monetize or how can they you know make more money and Mm -hmm. i think sometimes in our society it's this idea of money that drives people to it's just you're not looking out for like the betterment of society you're just looking every way possible to just benefit yourself yeah and this kind of selfishness and i think um i mean i'm so far away from being a parent but i think one of the big things as a parent maybe would be to like you know teach your kids that hey you know what a lot of the things you see on tv a lot of things you see like that's not the way this life is i think a lot of times parents say that like the way that is like that's you know let's say for pornographics parents always say like Mm -hmm. that's not the way that is and i think that's kind of a very radical kind of thing that i'm talking about but that's almost the case for a lot of things like hey that's not really the way it is yes like life is not like that and um that's actually kind of why this whole podcast and like i do have an instagram account for it and every time i make a post i always make sure to make it genuine yeah i'm not trying to like really get super like clothed up and like look all like cute or whatever to like make an instagram (laughs) post i like to make my post more spontaneous and i make the objective to have fun because then i know that whatever i put out it's a real genuine piece yeah and it's i think those are the things that not only build self-awareness for the person that's putting out content but it also makes the people seeing it like you know hopefully they don't feel that kind of bad feeling and you know if you put out like a positive message out there you're you're adding to that positivity yes oh yes um I don't know, I've just, I've been conceptualizing a lot and that's kind of my theory of like people putting out fake content, mm-hmm. people perceive that to be the truth and then that just kind of skews their whole perception of what life is. Yeah. And especially when people are young, they don't you don't know anything. You don't know anything. And so kids' minds are so sensitive. Yeah. And, um, I don't and know they also don't have, like one of the things in our growth and development that kind of makes even like what we were saying about the interview you had where you got to like just explore i mean some of it is putting language Mm -hmm. to these thoughts and feelings Mm -hmm. and images that we have and if we don't help kids do that at young ages like helping them language their emotions Mm -hmm. so that it's not just an acting out but there's also like i can communicate about my emotions Mm -hmm. if we can't help them language that the language is i mean that vacuum is going to be filled quickly by all the other messages that are out there that you actually don't want your child to take on Mm -hmm. so i think this is where coaches and educators and um, parents and grandparents and caregivers um, all have this opportunity to help kids and teens and adults. Like, how do I language what is going on for me? And that mm-hmm. starts with listening. It starts with discovering for ourselves what are the things about myself. Like you said, you're just having a lot of epiphanies mm-hmm. lately. Like you're just in this growth spurt mm-hmm. of awareness, which is so great. And what's making a difference I would assert, Christian, is that you're getting to share about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that helps. It's not just like that epiphany went off and then it faded into blah, blah, blah. You know, but it's like putting it out there now gives it like some existence. Mm-hmm. You know, journaling about it gives it some existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of our neurology, mm-hmm. to 
get it into a language form to actually get it into a written form. Mm -hmm. Now it engages more of us. Yeah. And I think um, it's cool because like you said, I'm kind of going through this growth spurt. So I think I'll just kind of keep going with it a little yeah. bit. Um, I think another thing, and you happen to mention it right now, just externalizing things the same way when you have your first um, consultation with a patient, with a client, you know, it's always like asking them questions and kind of building that rapport. And then also them kind of building self-awareness by you, you know, being confidential, being non-judgmental and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But really those people, I think why they benefit so much is because they're expressing their ideas and they're making them into words and they're you're looking at it from a non-judgmental standpoint and so it's almost like they're able to like find this fluidity and just expressing themselves and i think from my experience that there's a tremendous amount of value in externalizing things by writing it by making a song by doing yeah. poetry by collaging collaging yeah i mean i think there's just an element to the to being a human being that you have to express yourself in some way but but mm -hmm. in particular in a way that's genuine so yes. like for instance you saying that you know this is a very safe place and you know making the person feel very calm and not putting like a tremendous amount of pressure like oh you're gonna come here and we're gonna weigh you in and we're gonna do this you know just being very gentle and it allows someone to externalize and express themselves in a very genuine manner, which is many times really hard to do because we're so afraid of being judged and being this and being that. And so I think a good way to kind of start off with that whole process is just writing, creating poetry, doing all these kinds of things that you mm -hmm. could really do on your own to start off with. And then slowly but surely they're like, hey, you know what? This is my friend or my mom or whoever. You're like, hey, check out this thing that I wrote. And then they say, oh, wow, that's super nice. And then, like, you should share that. And then maybe, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but maybe you make an online account, you know, just anonymous, and then you put out that piece of poetry. Yeah. And then you just put a bunch of hashtags, and then people around the world could see that. And then people start to comment, like, oh, wow, I can relate to that. Oh, wow, this, this, and that. Yeah. And then you build self-confidence just from recognizing, like, wow, like, I can be myself, and people more than most times than not they will actually be accepting of it yeah and um and either way if you put out content that's genuine even if someone does judge you in a negative way at the very least you know that it's for you being you yes and like it's just a different surreal feeling that i think is so therapeutic yeah um that would be beneficial do you have a like a way that you feel like you do that what would you say is your way of expressing yourself that kind of helps you to get rid of any type of anxiety or anything like that um definitely like my husband's really good at listening oh okay that's it yeah someone listening and i've gotten so much better over the years at not presenting things so much as a problem mm. but more as here's what i'm experiencing mm -hmm. when i present it as a problem then he naturally wants to help fix it mm. if i present it as here's what I'm experiencing, here's what I'm afraid of, mm -hmm. you know, here's what I, you know, some thoughts that I just can't get out of my head from my day, mm -hmm. or these. this is a decision-making process that I really, you know, want your help with. There's not so much anything to fix mm -hmm. as much as just to express it. And I think the other thing that's made a big difference for me when I've had like more sig um, more distinct like thought processes that I see are not serving me, but I don't know what else to think. So like one of my things was, um, it seems like I never have enough time. Mm. And so there are some times that I had enough time. Mm -hmm. But if I had that thought, like I never have enough time, mm -hmm. then it always precedes my thoughts and what I see as possible. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I collaged and I just got all these images out of magazines. Mm -hmm. I should show you some of my collages. Oh, I got yeah. all these images out of magazines that evoked that 
emotion and that belief that I don't have enough time. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, then looking at that, I could kind of separate myself like that's a belief I have. Mm. And that belief runs me around all over the place Mm -hmm. in my head. And actually then stepping back and going, well, sometimes I do have enough time for whatever, whatever it is, to mm-hmm. have enough margin to drive the speed limit, whatever, or I have enough time to actually, you know, send a text or a phone call or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So just reminding myself that that's one of my beliefs, but it's not my reality mm-hmm. necessarily. It's just how things seem to me. Mm-hmm. So that collaging in that regard has made a big difference over time. It's not like I looked at my collage once and was like, boom, now my neurology is completely changed. And that, mm, no, 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 you know, but it's like even creating that collage and finding those images and recognizing like that's a perception I have about life, mm-hmm. about how I've constructed my life or how I feel like my life has to be. And it doesn't have to rule everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, um, like you mentioned, I mean, it's like you, you put it out there, you know, your format was in making collages, but in reality, it can be in anything. Mm-hmm. And then you having externalized it, you can kind of, it's a physical thing now. And then you could almost kind of reflect upon it like, oh, like you made that kind of realization that like, okay, that's just like a, like one piece, but in reality, that's not the reality that I live. And mm-hmm. so I think there's so much like, yeah, like self-awareness that you could build just off of externalizing it. And then you go back and look at what you wrote and you're like, holy crap. Like, it's kind of this weird thing because when you practice doing that free expression of just like creating stuff yeah. without, like without even really putting too much thought, but just letting things flow however they might want to be. Yeah. It's like this weird feeling of like, it's almost like you can go back and look at it and it's almost like, was that me? Like, it's yes. almost like wow, like that just came out of me, but it felt so good to get out. And it's almost like a lot of times you get a lot of cool stuff. You're like, well, I didn't even think I could do that. Yes. But it's just like when you, when your anxiety, when you just accept yourself and when your anxiety just like lowers and you really just get into that flow, it's like, I think um, the kind of things that we as humans can do is just so crazy. I think everybody has the ability to create something fascinating yeah. And a lot of people don't know it because they don't just let themselves they don't let themselves be free and just like express and just say, you know what, I'm not gonna put any expectations as to what I'm doing right now. I'm just gonna do it, I'm gonna have fun. And then you just see what happens. Yeah. And like you mentioned too, another thing that resonated with me what you said is that it's not like you just did this collage and then all of a sudden you felt like you resolved your whole life. <laughs> right. Like it's 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 a long process. This, this thing of life, I think it's a, I mean, it's the whole thing. You know, it's a yeah. never-ending process of growing and, and falling and getting back up. But from my experience, I think you start to cultivate. So once you start doing whatever that thing might be more frequently and it becomes more consistent, mm-hmm. then it starts to become easier. You start to become more um, accepting of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you start to be more efficient because you don't have to triple think every decision you make. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, and it's just like this cultivation, and it's like you just. I think the big thing is people put expectations that something has to be like all this amazing. Yeah, but it's like no, like just drop the expectations, just do it because it feels good. Yeah, and that's how I think a lot of times that's how people who get really great at something that's how they get there's because they don't care. Yeah, like they just <laughs> they give caring. themselves that freedom. Exactly. You know, I think you're speaking to another thing too, Christian, and that is um, allowing yourself to be in the unknown. Mm-hmm. Like, like starting a collage or starting a journal entry or, you know, a meditation. Like, I don't know what the outcome will be, mm-hmm. and can I just? take the next apparent step mm-hmm. not knowing what the outcome will be because mm-hmm. if it's i mean if i'm working on a collage and i'm like i don't know those images don't really do it for me mm-hmm. well the great thing about a collage is i can just paste another image right over it mm-hmm. or if you're doing some artwork it's like this just no longer feels genuine mm-hmm. well you're an adult you can choose to like crumble it up and throw it away you can choose to you know, whatever you want to do with it. Mm-hmm. But to be in that unknown, it's not 
easy mm-hmm. no. for human beings. It's sort of like, I should know, mm-hmm. or I should know by now, or if I don't know, there's something wrong with me, mm-hmm. or it's not safe to be in the unknown. I really need to know exactly where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And um, that's true in some cases if you're driving from point A to point B, but yeah. there's a lot of life where part of our growth and development is really fed by not knowing the outcome of something. Mm-hmm. And we're just open to it. Yeah. And um, I, I want to ask you if you've had an experience like the one I mentioned, but the term, I really like the term serendipity. Hmm. Like, you know, the development of something beneficial from like, like essentially not even like, like it wasn't pre-contemplated, like you just kind of do it and then there's a beneficial outcome. I like that idea of serendipity. I don't I don't know where I heard it. I heard that like, I don't know where it was, but I heard that like Kanye West does that. Something like that. I think that's what came to mind right now. Okay. But anyways, I heard about this term. And then after that, I started practicing it more. I said, you know what? You know, like my best friend comes over, you know, we, we know we want to go eat, but we're like, oh, where are we going to go? You know, a lot of times you want to decide what you're going to do. Like, yes. oh, let's go here. Let's go here. Like, you know, with anything. Yeah, yeah. But I've I've started practicing this art of like, just like if you have the freedom and the luxury like just don't even decide what you're gonna do just you know like for this instance like just get in the car just start driving you know i you know what? i haven't really been to the city in a while let's just start driving yeah and then you're like i know there's a lot of new restaurants there let's just go drive there and then you get there and you're like oh that one looks cool and then you walk in and it's just like you have this fascinating experience where you didn't have to put really much effort or thought yeah you're kind of just flowing and I don't know. I think there's a there's a real benefit to doing what you said, like going into the unknown, and it it, it kind of puts you on edge a little bit because you don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. But there's so much growth that goes into that, and the more and more that you do it, it's almost like you're getting you're making yourself stronger to be able to deal with all the inevitable like like obstacles that come in like life. Yeah, it's almost like you're you're training yourself so that if one day there really is like i don't know some tragic event like you'll be ready because you're used to that idea of not having to have something planned and go yes. and be able to accomplish it yeah so it's almost totally. like it's almost like you've trained yourself to stay calm cool collective even in the unexpected which yeah. if you don't train yourself for that i think when those moments do come because life is so unexpected then that's when you get people who like just get triggered and they can't deal with the situation they break down yeah so that's kind of one thing that I've I've been doing to kind of train myself. That's really great that you're doing that. <laughs> yeah. I you... think um like with my my career mm-hmm. there was a lot of a lot of the early decisions were this complete polarization of I have no idea how to do this mm-hmm. and this is something I know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just reflecting on, like, I knew how to do presentations, mm-hmm. like talks for lay as well as professionals. But I didn't know what the outcome of those would be. Like, early on when I was trying to build my practice, my clientele, mm-hmm. I mean, there was a lot of risk in not knowing how people would receive what I had to say. Mm-hmm. Like, being one of the pioneers in health at every size, mm-hmm. for example. I mean, presenting that to what was the American Dietetic Association, now Academy of um, Nutrition and Dietetics, I mean, there was, I'm going to say, somewhere between a handful and a dozen practitioners that I'm aware of in Canada and the United States that were really... Like we were all recognizing that health at every size, it didn't have a name so much, Mm -hmm. but it was something that was emerging as important. Mm -hmm. And that if we're health care professionals, then moving people towards how can you go after your health and Mm well-being and not have your body size and shape be the leading um, concern. Mm -hmm. Not that it isn't a concern Mm -hmm. but that that's like how would we pursue health and well-being 
if what if we can't change body size and shape? Mm-hmm. The person still has every right to pursue health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like being a pioneer in that, not knowing how people are going to receive something. And I think you spoke to it a little bit ago in this conversation is there comes a point where you stand for what you believe is important mm-hmm. and is an important contribution. Mm-hmm. And recognizing like, well, some people are going to like catch with that and some people aren't going to, but you planted a seed and some people are like, that just doesn't fit with my how I look at the world mm-hmm. or how I look at my business or my practice or the human body or any mm-hmm. of that. Um, but then now, I mean, you're the pi- like you're one of the pioneers in that movement, and now you know so many years later, like that's that's a big thing in our society now that I think is becoming more advocated for. Like I think now yes. you go to I was just at the mall not too long ago. I went to H and M. And they have pictures of like, you know how they have the model pictures for yep. the types of outfits? And they have pictures now where it's like they have women who are, you know, bigger sized and like are kind of thicker. Or I don't yeah. know how to explain it, but basically women of or all fuller different figured. Si- A fuller figure. Yeah. Like, but they have all different types of body shapes. And so that's that's one thing I know earlier we we're talking about the whole marketing thing. And there's some people who are like not really looking out for the consumers. But then there's other people who they obviously do have people on board that are that are looking out for people yeah and they're starting to shift their marketing to what society really is like yes and i think that's yes. that's really benefiting us and it's pe- making people more accepting of themselves and i think it's people like what you did kind of going on this movement because all right guys so that's where it, it cuts off and basically i'm um, telling nancy um i thought it was really cool how she was an advocate for the health at every size and basically how i find it important for people to advocate for something that may be mm, out of the norm or something that's not existent because it's basically what helps morph our culture into what's more appropriate for the time And being conscious of, for this instance, like being conscious that you can be healthy at every size. And her advocating for that pretty much has now made it, in this day and age, in 2020, it's making it more acceptable, acceptable to be, you know, a a bigger, more fuller figure, etc, etc. So I was just basically telling Nancy that I thought that was cool. And then now the clip's going to come back and it's Nancy talking again. And we're back to talking about, she talks about marketing and how, you know, how we should be buying things because of actually liking the product versus doing it because of any type of kind of um, pressure that we may feel from the marketing. So we'll just get into that right now with Nancy talking. And then I'm thinking, like, how how difficult I think it is for these companies, especially with the transition to online shopping and all that stuff that how do they keep people still feeling that draw to, I need to get a new bathing suit because the one I have doesn't look right versus, Oh, I want to get a new bathing suit because I want to treat myself to a new bathing suit. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, Part of the marketing is because we're inadequate mm-hmm. is the suggestion. Yeah. Like like you were saying, you need to get this and this and this and you should fix that and whatever versus, hey, I want to participate. I want to have something that I feel good in. I want to have something that, um, you know, covers me in a way that is comfortable for me and mm-hmm. not so much problem solving, but things that we choose to purchase because it would bring something enjoyable into our like life or our drawers or our closets or Mm -hmm. so just actually actually um doing things that intuitively feel good for someone versus doing something because they feel kind of guilty to try to fit into whatever society the norm is and all that yeah so i think that's a big thing and i really love where all this has gone my i looked over a few seconds ago and it seemed like the computer was kind of glitching 
Okay. I don't know if it's because the, we've just been recording for a little while. So I'm gonna we're gonna start to wrap it up, um, but I want to ask one last question. Okay. Uh, as a health expert, someone who's got a tremendous amount of wisdom in in the health field, someone who just someone who has so much experience in this life, and in particular having a vision towards benefiting like the human species, you know, through health and through mental health, which is kind of encompasses a lot of what it means to be a human. What would be kind of your general piece of advice for anyone out there um, who may be struggling with life, who maybe is struggling to find um, like confidence in themselves, kind of like the mm. whole premise of what we've been talking about. Like, what would you tell someone out there who may be listening, who feels like they can't hold up to the to the the societal norms and who maybe doesn't feel like they have the confidence to do what they want what would you say for someone like that i have two thoughts two thoughts okay that came to my mind one is we have this idea that we have to do stuff on our own Mm -hmm. and if we need help then maybe we're not really qualified or we're not really capable um so like my word for this year is collaboration i mm-hmm. like picking a word for okay. the beginning of the year so my word is collaboration and recognizing like for me to be effective in my work mm-hmm. that what's going to make the biggest difference is being a contribution to people and collaborating mm-hmm. with people so I think that's one of the things is, is there somebody who is doing something that's interesting to you, Mm -hmm. even if you can't imagine how to make a living off of it, or you don't have education for it, but it's interesting to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think looking at, okay, can I go with something that's interesting to me? And maybe that's a person that I could, at the very least, take to coffee. Mm Mm-hmm. And just like ask them questions about what they do and say what's interesting to you about it. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, at best would be, you know, could they have you in their, you know, whether it's an office or however they do their work, mm-hmm. you know, can you observe? Can you do some kind of, you know, assisting or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that's part of it is looking at, what what's interesting to me who's doing something mm. like that that's interesting i mean i think then also look at what's interesting to me and maybe nobody's doing it that i know of mm. like that's kind of how i started private practice mm-hmm. back in the day that i saw my mom and my sister were psychotherapists in private practice and i thought you know what i really care about is people taking on like lifestyle changes that have been recommended by their doctor, for example. And then how do they actually do that in a real day? Mm-hmm. And I would love to come alongside them and guide and support and that kind of thing. I didn't even know there was such a thing as like being in a private practice because I didn't know anybody doing it. Mm. Okay. So I saw something that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It helped that I knew people who were already in a model that was kind of like I could see myself doing that there. But I remember my my guidance professor when I was in grad school said, you know, private practice, you really need to have like some other plan. Mm-hmm. Like that's not going to, that's oh not going to work. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the advice. And I also had enough naivete that I thought, well, of course it's going to work. So, but I think part of it is I just really cared about people figuring out how do I actually live what my mind, body, and soul need me to change to, you know? Mm -hmm. How do I actually make that happen? Um, So I guess those are two thoughts I have. One is collaborate, and the other is don't be afraid to, venture out and try some things on your own wow i think uh i'm really fascinated by that i love the the answer 
definitely a hmm. different answer from Thanks. the ones I've gotten in the past. And um, I love that. So let's see. You said go out, adventure onto whatever you like, whatever intuitively comes to you. If there's someone out there who's doing something similar, then go seek them, observe them, whatever mm-hmm. it is, get get that feel for it. And then that'll probably hopefully give you the confidence to move forward with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so we'll wrap it up here. Did you want to maybe tell the listeners anything about your business? Because I know you have your business, Your Life Nutrition. Yeah. And that's kind of what's entailed the start of our conversation with the way that you approach your first um, appointments and all that. Um, yeah, If you cool. want to tell the listeners anything about that. Well, I think what sets our practice apart is that right now there are five dietitians here mm-hmm. and we're in a 102-year-old craftsman home in Pasadena. And so what our philosophy is, is to make the time people spend here, like clients, make it as much like real life as possible. Mm -hmm. So that if somebody is feeling insecure about how to put together a meal that's going to work for them, then we have a really great kitchen here. Mm -hmm. So we literally pull things out of the refrigerator or they bring things and we can, it's very Mm hands-on and that's part of like what makes an impact Mm -hmm. for us to make personal change is to get as much of our senses involved as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, physiology is a necessity for things to be remembered. Mm -hmm. So um, like we have a really nice like breakfast nook Mm -hmm. that you know, clients, we can eat with them and support them in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, the neighborhood is fantastic for walking. So sometimes our sessions will be walking. I call them walk and talks. Mm. Because when we're moving, we just have access to different ways of viewing things. And when we're just sitting, yeah, you know, in a counseling office, which also has its benefits. But um, so we really believe in hands-on mm-hmm. and... I think, you know, between the five of us, we can work with just about every nutrition-sensitive concern that there is. Mm -hmm. So everything from diabetes care to cardiovascular and GI and, you know, kidney health and things like that, but also um, food sensitivities and allergies and, you know, people on the spectrum that are dealing with texture issues and Mm -hmm. um, GI problems, um, all kinds of eating disorder concerns, all ages. I mean, it's really, really neat. Mm -hmm. So, and And we uh, do it very respectfully, you know, like that whole person approach is super important to us. And I'm sure every whoever, if anyone listened up until this point, I'm sure they already got the vibe that you're just like a super cool person. Hmm. Um, I was going to say, just thinking about it myself, like if someone wanted to get treatment, I know it would kind of be against what you just said, but do you do like online services like through yes. Zoom or something? Yes. We okay. also do Zoom and FaceTime oh, okay. appointments. So we have, we definitely have clients across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have any in other countries right now, but we have. And so that's definitely an option. The vibe still comes forth. <laughs> okay. And I've I've definitely had, you know, FaceTime sessions with clients while they're cooking in their oh, kitchen. And wow. I mean, so, yeah, I don't smell the aromas of the garlic and the onions and that they're cooking. But, you know, I'm, st- I'm still there. I mean, it's amazing how <laughs> sort of counter to what we were saying at the start, mm-hmm. but there's so many things about technology that are just so awesome. Mm -hmm. And so like even FaceTime sessions and things like that can be very personal Mm -hmm. and very hands-on. And um, I just, I love that about technology. I love the ways that people use Instagram and Facebook and all these things to like really be a blessing to humanity and the planet. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's so much good stuff out there. Yeah. yeah. And and I talk about that. I say that the internet, it really only exposes us and it's a tool and it can be good or bad for you depending on how you use it. But I agree with you a hundred percent. There's so many advantages to having the internet, having social media. And it's a, I think it's really one of the most optimal times to be alive. Yes, for sure. And you mentioned, you know, your services could also be through online, 
Mm -hmm. you are based here in pasadena and what's the website or way in which people can find your yeah your practice um your life nutrition dot co not dot com Mm. dot co and then we're also on instagram as your life nutrition um and people don't have to have a medical problem mm-hmm. to come here either. I mean, some people come because they just want to get their eating set up in a way that really works for them schedule-wise and their energy and, you know, prevent, like, some of the things that could be genetically setting them up for problems down the future. Um, so, yeah. Wow. We love doing it all. All right, guys, so you heard it here from Nancy King. She's a pioneer in eating disorder treatment. She has her business, Your Life Nutrition. Uh, within her business, she has five dietitians total, correct? Mm-hmm. And so she, her practice encompasses pretty much any type of nutritional help that you may need in a very real, I guess, real simulate, like a simulation of real life. Yeah, that's just, fair. yeah and so anybody listening out there who feels that they may need help with anything related to nutrition i would definitely advocate you for for you to check out her website i know there's also blog post articles you guys put on there right Mm -hmm. there's articles if you follow the instagram page i'm sure you'll find content that's just like positive or informative so even if you don't have the finances to do something like that there's always so much information that you can find through her page. But if you do want to seek something, then just go on the website on the Instagram page and I'll make sure to to put all the links to her pages on the, on the description of this episode. So thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you, Nancy, so much. It's been a phenomenal time. And I really do feel like we can keep going on this conversation for a really long time. Yes. But because I saw my computer lagging, I don't want to get to the point where it just freezes (laughs) and ruins it. So next time I'm going to come back with a better laptop and, ho- <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully we'll do this again. Yeah. Hopefully we'll too. do this again and it'll be a lot of fun. Cool. It's truly my pleasure. Really. Thank you, Nancy. And that is a wrap for this episode of The Art of Human. If you feel this episode was insightful or beneficial for you in any way, please make sure to share it with those you feel may also benefit. If you'd like to get sneak peek audio clips from the latest episodes, behind the scenes footage for the podcast, or insightful content from your host Sapien, please follow at T-A-O-H experience on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Lastly, go out there, be your sexy self, and spread that peace, love, and positivity. Sincerely, your host Sapien. Until next time, bye.